V Coffee Podcast is sponsored by KitchenAid, whose coffee collection is changing the way coffee is brewed at home. KitchenAid worked with baristas and coffee experts to engineer a new line of coffee products. The KitchenAid Burr Grinder allows you to extract the best flavor from your coffee beans by precisely controlling the grind level. The KitchenAid Precision Press Coffee Maker enhances the classic French press brewing method with an integrated scale and timer to precisely brew a bold, full-bodied cup of coffee. Exceptional coffee made simple with KitchenAid. At Bold Bean Coffee Roasters, we know that quality starts at the source and ends in your cup. This is why we focus on directly sourcing and roasting coffees with dynamic character and brilliant clarity and sweetness. Order now at boldbeancoffee.com and use promo code COFFEEPODCAST for free shipping on all orders through September. You're listening to The Coffee Podcast, where our focus is people and our language is coffee. Episode 97, Understanding the Coffee Market. Hi folks, and welcome back to another episode of The Coffee Podcast. As you know, we have that ongoing uh, what do you, what you mean, Jiggy? What do you call it? Oh, the giveaway, the giveaway of the Department of Rheology, uh, Let Coffee Bloom hat. It is on. You can, uh, get entered in by jumping onto Instagram, reposting our relative related, what am I saying? Related, uh, photos or videos. Uh, you can also get in by subscribing to the coffee podcast via the website at the coffeepodcast.org. Um, and, uh, you can get your name in twice by hashtagging on your Instagram people focused. Okay. Is that enough information? I, I really think so. A lot of you have been asking us to have more conversations about the coffee market. The coffee market is something that a lot of us don't really understand that well. Uh, I mean, really, how, how often are you dealing directly with the coffee market or any market at that unless you're some kind of economist? Or, uh, I mean, there's plenty of jobs that work with the market. <laughs> My point is we have, we have somebody on the show today uh, who is extremely experienced and very knowledgeable about the coffee market. She's been in it since 1983, and she agreed to be on the show, and we're thankful to have her. Let me introduce our guest, Miss Judy Gaines. I'm Judy Gaines, and I have my own uh, commodity consulting business that forecasts uh, coffee prices, looking at the market from a fundamental perspective, as well as other um, tropical soft commodities. Awesome. And Judith, how did, how did you end up in coffee? It seems like uh, when we met in Medellin, you had, you had quite the story of how you ended up there. Well, it was sort of a circuitous route. Um, I wanted to be a dentist. <laughs> I went to a university for pre-dental and then happened to meet someone who was in commodities and they took me onto the exchange floor and I sort of fell in love with it, and that ended my dental career. And <laughs> whoops! So here I am, um, thirty-five years later, still covering coffee. But it was really—I wasn't intent on covering coffee per se. It was just really commodities in general. But the office where I was working had several commodity traders and, and other soft commodities, and that's how I wound up 
um, inheriting coffee. Got you. So your experience in, in watching the coffee market, so to speak, is is how many years do you think that would be under your belt? Well, really since day one, because there were coffee traders in the office where I started and they were all actively trading coffee and screaming around the room about it. So it's been really um, since 1983. And then even before that, I was visiting this office for two years. So really, I started to know about the market since you know, the early 1980s. And you're somebody too, who's not unfamiliar with travel. And you, it seems to me you've been to origin a few different times. Can, can you tell us a little bit about your, your travel and how that plays into you as, as somebody who's dealing with the market in the way that you do? Sure. Well, I have a pretty thick passport from visas. By good fortune, um, being involved in, with coffee brings you to many fabulous countries, and you meet thousands and thousands of fabulous people over the years. And so, um, you know, my heart's with coffee um, because of that. And so I've been to uh, 32 coffee-producing countries. I have a goal of hitting every single one. Well, there's technically 57 reached the more than the halfway point. (laughs) That's, I mean, that's pretty impressive to me. So I think what I want to get across to our listeners is that, you know, I, I, I think the danger in thinking about people who deal with the market is to think that, you know, oh, they're just market people and they don't understand, uh, you know, the more personal side of things, you know, I, I think that's an error that's the stereotypical. made. typical. <laughs> that, that's fine. <laughs> so, you can pigeonhole me as the Wall Street geek if you want. No problem. Try to break out of that mold. Absolutely. And so, okay, I, I have a few questions for you here about coffee in the market um, because I'm really curious about how coffee works in the market. I'm, I'm very ignorant about how it works. I think a lot of our listeners would really like sort of a, Uh, you know, coffee market 101 sort of conversation. So my first question about the market is, how does coffee work on the market? Like, what are the most important variables and how does it move? So what you have to remember is that a commodity, a regulated commodity is a standardized contract. And it's designed that way specifically for commercial players, be it producers, or roasters or importers, exporters, anyone in the supply chain having to move coffee from one spot to the other. Um, and then the ultimate, you know, final users. Um, and it's designed to cover their price risk. So if you're a farmer, what are you worried about? You're worried about that you might sell your coffee too cheap. So that either you sold it too soon at a low price and then the market went up or that the price is very depressed and you're not going to get fair value for it. So what what is keeping a farmer up at night? And that's low prices. At the same time, a roaster has the similar concerns, but on the opposite side of the spectrum. They're worried about buying it too um, expensively and not being able to cover their margins. So they need insurance to cover the outcome of what happens if prices go up because they can't really pass it on to their consumers very easily. They have to try and maintain stable values. Okay. 
So volatile prices are something that are not going to go away. And everyone says, oh, the market is too volatile, it's too this, but that's really a reflection of the supply and demand and the realities of the market. And so the volatility has to be managed. It's not going to go away. You can't control the price. Okay. What you can do is manage it. And so that's the commercial side, the commercial application hedging, and the reason for futures markets to have evolved, money markets. And coffee is just one of many markets that follow the same pattern and the same sets of rules and the same types of players. The other side is speculators. And speculators don't really care about coffee per se. They just care about profits. And speculators could fall into the category of you know, a small investor to a very large hedge fund and managed money. They're all involved in the market and it's purely from a profit potential. But what's important and I think is very widely misunderstood is the importance of having speculators because they provide the necessary liquidity. And so if you didn't have that, then commercial players would find that prices were probably even more volatile and they wouldn't be able to do the transactions properly to manage their hedging and their price risk. And therefore they would have even greater problems. Okay. Okay. So I I have a question here as far as uh, you said, this volatility is a major issue. It's not going away. Uh, And then there's this misunderstanding of, of speculators and their their value in in the they get beat up on a lot okay and and i mean i think from my perspective because i don't know much it it would be kind of easy to beat up on somebody who's involved in something i care about so much like the coffee chain uh for the sake of you know just profit alone that you know that seems but see it's assuming that a speculator can push the market to exaggerated levels in one direction or the other and that's, and that's not really what the case is. Okay. And if it and if the market is stretched in one direction, then what could happen is it provides opportunity for the commercial player who's looking to either buy it cheaper or sell it higher and take advantage of the possibility that the market might be out of its predicted range based on a known set of fundamentals. And there, there's a few times where that could happen because, you know, all boats rise and fall in the same water. And so if someone, you know, the hedge fund has a basket of commodities. And so they're watching global macros and not just focused on coffee per se. And so when they're looking at a situation that's unfolding on economic level, whether it's new economic news out of the US or Europe or something in China, well, there's this spillover ripple effect. And so the markets tend to move in unison. They'll go up and down together. A lot of times it's a currency play, but is that directly linked to coffee fundamentals? Not necessarily, but it's certainly a major influence on the price. And so when the market becomes stretched outside what's reasonable, 
instead of sort of complaining about it, take advantage of it, work it to your favor. Obviously, you know, the market's at a different place today than it was five years ago, yada, yada. So it'll be at a different place in five minutes. Oh, it's always a different, it's always <laughs> a different place. Fair, fair. So what major historic events in coffee should we be aware of as people who care about the coffee chain? Well, of course, there's always weather events. So there is, you know, the, the big frost, the great frost of 1975 in Brazil that caused prices to go soaring to record high levels. And then there was the 1985 drought. And then there was the 1994 back-to-back frost in July of 1994. And then there was a situation where Colombia had some major problems um, earlier this decade that sent the market shooting higher. And then on the downside, it's sort of a pendulum swing the other way in response to the ultimate very high prices. The exception to that, um, and something that is truly fundamentally driven and not linked to the weather, was that in the 70s and, and 80s, producers and consumers want to try and stabilize the market. So you had the super high prices of the 70s and <coughs> excuse me, and the need to try and do something. So they hammered out the international coffee agreement with a quota system. But of course there was known cheating and, and breaking through that quota system. And then also not all consuming countries or producing countries for that matter were members of the international coffee organization. So they weren't bound to follow the quota system. So this was put together by the ICO then? Correct. Gotcha. So it was, you know, bought by the members so if you're not a member, you don't have to adhere to it. You don't have to play by the same rules. So it was, you know, what was called cheating, but, you know, if you're not in the game, then you don't have to follow the rules. So it's not really cheating per se, but there was a lot of shipments going to other places. And then whether they wound up crossing borders back into where they shouldn't is another story. The, the point is that it kept prices artificially propped up between $1.20 and $1.40 a pound. And in 1989, the U.S. basically backed away from the agreement and said, we're not participating anymore. And they couldn't hammer out a good agreement. And the market then collapsed immediately thereafter because it was from prices being elevated for so long, producers were pumping out that were overproducing by, you know, mountains of coffee that was stored at origin. And so when the market started to break, they couldn't afford to finance the coffee anymore because prices were coming down. And they also believed that quotas would be reintroduced and that they would get a larger share of the pie when it was based on free market conditions. So there was every incentive to ship, 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 ship and ship more coffee. And so that's basically what happened. And so the market buckled under this and fell to historic lows. So that's one major significant event in the coffee market. And if you look at where prices tend to gravitate to, this market's like an elephant and it has 
this muscle memory to keep going back to this level. And so the market has this gravitational pull between $1.20 and $1.40. The majority of the times, that's where this market's going to sit. And you could see that recently the market tried to break above it and it came right back down. And we also earlier this year tried to break the downside of it and the market bounced right back up. Uh, before that, what, how was the market working? Like, was there, was there another number it was gravitating towards? And I know that's hard to understand. Well, the market, the market was at lower levels and producers weren't happy, but it's one of these situations where people will always look at some of the extremes. So a producer might say, look, prices five years ago were higher, but they were higher because there was a fundamental rationale. It doesn't mean that prices should stay that way because it would cause massive oversupply. Gotcha. And so the response to high prices has to be managed. So we, we have events like this, right? Would you consider this one of the greatest maybe events in, in the coffee market in 100 years? I mean, I don't even know how, how do we gauge this. Well, I think it's a singular event that had bearing on price for more than two decades. Gotcha. And, and still today. Because, because it, it created this steady supply from origin. So when Brazil had a drought, it didn't matter. Brazil had plenty of stock. And when there was the frost in Brazil, Brazil had a ready supply backed up. When Colombia had problems, there was still supply backed up at origin. Okay. Now we're in a uncharted territory from that standpoint in that supplies at origin are at extremely low levels. So that backlog of supplies is finally, finally exhausted. That's really interesting. Wow. Uh, yeah. So that puts the market in a whole different dynamic than what it's been in for the past few decades. So, I mean, in your own words, you, you said we're sort of in uncharted territory as far as the market's concerned with coffee right now. And, and therefore, there's the potential for even greater volatility, which means then that those who are participating in the market really need the education to understand how the market performs and works so they can manage that volatility. Well, Judith, that's why you're here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, it provides on the other side, it provides tremendous potential, tremendous opportunity for speculators. Okay. All right. Instead of because because we could, I feel like we could exhaust the topic here. Um, but I think the point was made that there are moments in history that need to be looked at if you're going to understand the, the coffee market. Um, but let's let's kind of move move uh, back a few weeks here. Uh, where you and I met at the conference at, at uh, the World Coffee Producers Forum in Medellin. And I kind of want to just gauge uh, what your thoughts were. I, I feel like I saw a lot of producers. I saw a few traders. I really didn't see too many traders. Um, and then different sort of private sector people there. But seriously, not a lot of people dealing with the market like you do. And so I feel like you have a really interesting perspective on the forum. And I was hoping you could share that. Uh, with with the listeners, it showed me that there's still a lot of ignorance about the market in terms of 
how it really works, the mechanics of the market and what it's designed to do. Part of the New York market or futures market in general is for price discovery. And people are saying the market's broken and it's not functioning, but maybe it's because they're looking at supply in their own backyard or their own perception as opposed to what's really happening globally. And so what's an example of that? I'm trying to understand what you what you mean when you say that. Well, suppose a farmer in one country is suffering. They have some labor shortages, their prices are very high right now, and maybe their their farm isn't as efficient as it possibly could be. So their costs are relatively high. But it doesn't mean that everybody's costs are that high. And so they're suffering when prices are moderately low or whereas someone else might still be able to um, make a comfortable, sustainable living. And so then they need to figure out what they're going to do to adjust to be able to continue to be profitable. Okay, I see what and you're saying. Right, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the market is at fault, but the market becomes the scapegoat. And everyone likes to say it's not broken. And the market today is at the same price as it was 10 years ago. And why is that? And there, there's a lot of factors involved that, you know, come into that collective pool that, that dictates where prices are. The other side to that, and what I saw a lot of and where there's a lot of misconception is just not understanding a basic um, factor. And that is producers made a fairly loud point of saying that they want to capture a larger piece of the final price and that there's this inequity in the supply chain where the producers aren't getting their fair share. And what happens in the supply chain is simply that all along the way, someone's creating an added value for that coffee. Someone's doing something to it that's adding some value and able to charge a higher price. But also as you move through the supply chain, the costs go up incrementally so because of differences, even cost of living. So the farmer is saying, hey, I see you know, Starbucks coffee selling for $4. And how come my coffee, can't I get another five cents out of that? But of course, not all coffee is selling at these high prices. And the cost of capital for the store that is selling the coffee at that high price is extreme. When you add up the equipment and the wages and rent and everything else and marketing and loss that, that goes along with it. And so there's this disconnection in terms of understanding along the supply chain, all the costs for all the players and guaranteed um, if it was better understood, then some of this rhetoric that you're hearing probably wouldn't be there. And someone looked to say, okay, how am I going to add some value to my coffee that I'm selling or fix my costs so I can sustain the market because it's the same thing. And if you look at Starbucks, 
they're not just selling coffee. They're selling mugs. They're selling chocolate-covered graham crackers. They're selling CDs. They're selling breakfast. They're doing everything they possibly can to get more traffic into their stores and diversify. Right. And, and I, okay. every cafe has got to do that because they're not making... And they have to because right. they're not covering costs, just selling coffee. So if they're not making money selling coffee at $3 or $4, then how could the producer say, I want to capture more of that money? Because clearly they're not making money just on coffee. Because otherwise they wouldn't have to have all these other beverages. And so from that perspective, I think that there's, you know, it's always the grass is greener on the other side. And that's really what it comes down to. But if you ask a one of the, the retailers or the roasters, is the grass really that green? They'll complain just as much. They'll complain about the high cost of equipment. They'll complain about a million other costs going up the same way as the producer. Yeah, you, you absolutely have a point here. I, I hear complaining along the chain. I mean, I haven't talked to a lot of traders who are necessarily complaining, but I hear oh, they get squeezed on both sides. They're, they're complaining. <laughs> they're, 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 forget complaining. They're crying. Okay. You know, when you talk about margins. But even, I, I want to give you an example. Yeah. Okay. When I started and I took my series three exam to become a commodities broker, and commodities brokers were making an absolute fortune trading for other people. Okay. And just, Basically, you know, taking orders and providing a service, a value-added service. And they were able to get, you know, $100 for a round-turn trade. And today, they're lucky if they get $3. Hmm. Because there's a beating down on the commissions. Because people say, I can't, you know, your commissions are too high. Your commissions are too high. And electronic trading made it so you don't have as much dialogue and value add isn't as easy to capture. And so everyone beat up on the futures brokers and now they're, they're the poor ones. <laughs> so they, you think in terms of the number of trades they have to do to make the same living as they did 25 years ago. So this, and so when, yeah. when, so when you talk about costs increasing and people making less money, I mean, there's a classic example of someone within the, the commercial platform, okay, um, who gets squeezed. Right. And that's that's kind of the thing is it seems to be there's complaining from the consumer, you know, complaining all the way up the chain, all the way back to the producer. It's an interesting... And it's human nature. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and you look at it. It's in every single industry. It's not unique to coffee. Sure. But you have to but the thing the thing with coffee is that coffee is such a social beverage and it's such the, the fabric of so many communities that it's it becomes very vital. And so you do have to, you know, um, feel for the producers, it tugs at your heart. And then also you have to understand that if they're not making a livelihood, then they're not going to produce the coffee and quality is going to suffer. And then 
the world suffers from that. So you have communities that suffer, you have economies that suffer within countries when coffee prices are depressed. And so you have this entire social fallout from it, which is very different than other more insular commodities where it really doesn't impact as many people and touch as many lives. It, and I think because yeah. everyone loves coffee, um, you know, it's something to talk about, something that gets people engaged. So that's why it's a little more prevalent or noticeable in coffee. Yeah. And it, that, you know, these issues. It's, it's interesting too, you know, as we talk about price and who's complaining, really the, the one uh, I think is potentially the the group that we need to really be concerned about the most would naturally be the producers, right? Because if if they without do, the producers, you don't have you don't have coffee. Yeah, I mean, without roasters, you don't have coffee. But really, who's going to stop roasting coffee? <laughs> well, you know, you know, like, I mean, you could have you could have smaller roasters. So if you don't have large roasters, right? And small roasters, or you could you know roast at home. I mean, so there, there's ways it might taste a little more charcoaly, but um, you know, there, there's people who survive without having, you know, that end of the supply chain and the convenience factor. Right. But it's possible, but most people can't grow coffee. Right. And in and, and the face of the matter or the, or the truth of the matter is that the producers are very upset. Uh, I, from my experience, I mean, you saw it even at the forum. Like there's, oh, absolutely. there's a lot of passion behind uh, the things that were said. I think the forum itself was a grand opportunity for, for the producers to at least feel like they had a voice in what's going on. And um, so that was really exciting. But um, Well, that, that's very true. And now it has to be to find the proper solution. But just sort of finger pointing isn't the solution. I yeah, absolutely agree with that. So, and and so there, there has to be this educational process. And I think it, you know there was a severe lack of that, of true understanding the supply chain and cost for all. And, and there's you know certainly those that try to address that issue. Um, you know, that there's one uh, firm that does exactly that, you know, and I'll, I'll name them Sustainable Harvest has been fantastic. They're sort of the, the trailblazers for having open dialogue and talk between the producers and the roasters. And you have to applaud their, their model um, every single day for what, you know, they, they try and do to further this education and close that gap and, and bring that understanding together. Absolutely. Well, uh, I had one more question, but we're coming to the end of our time here. Um, no, I can answer quick. Okay. Um, Go for it. And this is kind of back to what you said before. Uh, you know, some people say that the market is broken, right? And, and that's sort of, uh, maybe that's pointing the blame on something that's not to blame, but do you think there's ways that the coffee market might be broken? I, I know that um, there's been some talk about how coffee sort of started in the market and how it was sort of a colonial 
uh, deal going on. Maybe the prices that have, were originally paid to producers weren't the right prices in the first place sort of deal, so it got off on the wrong foot. Does Is that possible, or what do you think about all that? No, I actually disagree with the statement entirely that the market's broken. I think the market is extremely efficient. And if you look at some of the statements, I'll give you a very quick example. So I know you're tight on time. People talk about how large the speculative position is. They really like to hone in on speculators have a record open interest. So record number of contracts outstanding. Well, they need to because over time, production keeps going up and up and up and up. And so does consumption. And therefore, if there's this balance in the market where speculators are helping to provide the liquidity and commercial players have more coffee to hedge, then speculators need to have record positions as well. But the market doesn't look at that. You know, they need to just turn that kaleidoscope a little bit to understand, you know, a, a completely different perspective on the same issue. Got you. Yeah, I, I think it's important to have this conversation and uh, I appreciate you for, for joining us and sharing your, your knowledge with us, uh, with the listeners, and it's been an extremely valuable conversation, so thank you. You're welcome, with pleasure. If you're anything like me, you not only have more knowledge about the coffee market now, but you have more questions. And in my conversations after the interview with Judy, uh, she said she'd be more than happy to join us again to do some more talks about the market. I'm very excited, and that was a pleasure to have her on the show. Remember, we're doing that giveaway. All the details on Instagram. Uh, you can also subscribe to get your name in the hat, as well as put people focused. Get yourself in there. Don't believe. The Coffee Podcast is produced by me, Jesse Hartman, and my co-host, Weston Peterson. Music is by Michael Parallax. You can now find him at michaelparallax.com or michael-parallax.bandcamp.com. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, and until next time, happy brewing.